I'd like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land upon which this recording takes place, the Gabi Gabi people of Southeast Queensland. I honour their continuing connection to land, sea and sky, as well as their elders, past, present and emerging. Hey there, welcome back to the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. I'm your host, Cam Fraser. This is episode number 132. We're talking all things masculinity, sexuality, male bodies, and men's experiences of pleasure. And today I have the pleasure of chatting with Daniel DiPietro. Daniel is a Melbourne-based sexologist with a master's in sexology and provisional psychotherapist with several certifications in sex therapy including how to treat mismatched sexual desire between couples and navigating issues of sexuality and sexual difficulties. Daniel has a keen interest in male sexual health, behavior, pleasure, and function, and has presented his thesis on male sexual health for the Queensland Society of Australian Sexologists branch. Daniel enjoys working collaboratively with binary and non-binary people of all ages, cultural backgrounds, beliefs, and sexual orientations. And you can find him at his website, which is dipietrosexology.com. That's D-I-P-I-E-T-R-O, sexology.com, or on Instagram at dipietrosexology. And in this episode, the two of us talk about the research that Daniel conducted for his master's in sexology regarding erectile dysfunction and its impacts on masculinity. We discuss how erectile dysfunction impacts men's self-esteem and the strategies that these men use to compensate for that. We also look at the issues surrounding the dissemination of research that's related to men's sexual health and functioning, the problems with recruiting study participants, for example, and the way that any research on male sexual dysfunctioning is received by other groups. So if this is interesting to you, erectile dysfunction research, uh, managing it, we also offer some practical advice, which is helpful, uh, and you know, sexuality-based research in general, then I definitely recommend you keep listening. I had a great chat with Daniel. I really resonate with him, so it was really lovely to connect this way. Uh, I hope you enjoy. Wet dreams are a perfectly normal body function which is nature's way of getting rid of stored-up sperm. I wonder what makes everybody think that they have to go all the way to intercourse to make it legitimate every time. Let me tell you, young lady, and I can talk to you as a father, it burns me up to think some young punk will try to make a girl go all the way just to prove he's a man. Well, uh, I appreciate you jumping on nevertheless, mate. I'm excited to have a chat with you. And the way that I like to start is with an invitation. It's just an open invitation for you to share a little bit about who you are, what it is that you do, and what you're really passionate about. So that's my open invitation to you to start. Yeah, beautiful. Well, thanks, Cam. Pleasure being on here. Um, so I'm Daniel G. Pietro. I'm a Melbourne-based sexologist. Um, I've got a, uh undergrad in psych. Um, whilst doing psych, I wanted to kind of step into that couple space um, but I was also very kink-friendly and practicing kink myself. So I was very interested in working sexologically with, with clients and the psych degree just didn't give me that. So I ended up doing a grad dip of uh, sexology at Curtin University um, and then finished my master's from there once I did that um, and doing a bit of degrees on the side. So right now I'm two and a half months off finishing my master's of counselling and psychotherapy. So yes, 
Yes, on the home stretch. <laughs> nice, brother. And what are you what are you passionate about, man? I'd love to know. Yeah. Uh, um, so I actually did a thesis on um, erectile dysfunction um, for young men in particular. So between the ages of nineteen, the research shows. Uh, sorry, eighteen and um, thirty nine. Yeah, um, right. Yeah, very, very, very passionate about male sexual health because there's not really any um, that I've seen within the field other than yourself and a few others, particularly within Australia, of just male role models of teaching and and showing men, you know, healthy sexual education. Mm. Or go. Yeah, and is that your your client base at the moment, young men? Yeah, I've had I've had a lot of young men reach out. Um, I have had men. I'm trying to think of a demographic here that. Um, I could put in between, I'd say, 40 to 60. Um, so in between that, that age bracket as well. So I've had quite a few, um, quite a few sexual orientations as well. Um, I've had a few um, uh, gender diversities come in as well. Um, so I've had a few women come see me. Um, I've had people who are non-binary come see me. Um, anything um, sexologically based I've been trained in. But, yeah, male sexual health is definitely my passion. Mm. And is um I know you're saying that like you personally practice kink and that was kind of what drove you towards maybe doing something specifically in sexology. Is that something that shows up in your your practice as well? Are you working with people around kinks and yeah, and yeah. So when people when people are kind of when I see couples and and couples are very timid around how about bringing it up to their partners, um, there is specific apps and whatnot that you can download where I guess if you have a kink or a fetish that is a little bit more. I guess what you perceive and everything is normal per se, but what you may perceive is not so normal. Then um, if your partner doesn't click that, it won't show up. Right. Yeah. So it keeps a bit of, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, anonymity. Yeah. Anonymity. Yeah. Anonymity. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it keeps a bit of that in there. So, um, but it will highlight things that your partner's interested in as well. Yeah, I think um, I had a podcast interview a while ago with Justin Le Miller, and he spoke about an app similar to that. Um, X Confessions, I think maybe is what he was talking about. Yeah, something like that. But um, yeah, I, I use a similar um, activity called the Yes, No, Maybe So game, which I, I talk about all the time because I think it's fantastic. But I like the idea of having that um, bit of a safety net there of like, oh, this is something that maybe I'm a little bit hesitant to share about. And so it only matching with your partner if they click on it as well. I think there's value in that as well, for sure. Um, I'd love to speak about your your thesis, brother, because that's that's like what um, I really. Um, I mean, a, a bunch of other things. I, I'm a big fan of you in general, but um, the thesis was something that really stood out to me as something I'd love to speak to you about. And um, and so I was wondering if you could share a little bit about like the the premise of the the thesis, and then um, maybe we can dive into some of the things that you found from the research. Yeah, sure, sure. So um, it's called an overlooked population. So um, it's a, ph- a phenomenological research. So basically, lived experiences of uh, young men, which the research shows, as I said, between the ages of 18 to 39, and how that impacts masculinity, sexual satisfaction, um, healthcare services, and their sexual responses. Um, so I did that looking through a, a biopsychosocial model. So what that is essentially, it's Engel's model of um, any biological factors, social factors, um, and psychological factors that may impede sexual functioning. Um, and what I did is I uh, disseminated research out to male support groups and social media and 
around my local area and gathered in participants. So I had to really refine the research. So with research, it has to be very specific demographic. Um, so I could only do heterosexual cisgender men um, for my research there, which I chose within that age bracket because that was really the only people coming forward to me. Um, and uh, I honed it into that and I found out just a whole heap of what the dearth of research was already saying because there wasn't too much I could find online, um, particularly current research. It was, it was very past. So I think when I was writing the research, it was 20, I'd say between late 2019, 2020. Um, and there was only articles that went up to, I'd say, 2017 that I could find really credible sources for. Um, so, yeah, it, it just basically, it, it really highlighted the need for, for young men to be supported. Um, and just how it detrimentally impacts them yeah. in their lives. Yeah, I um, I'm curious. How did you conduct the the interviews with these men? Yeah, so I basically had a, a criteria that was based off the DSM five for ED, so erectile dysfunction, um, and I asked a bunch of questions regarding that. And basically, they had to meet the preliminary diagnosis for that. Um, I disseminated that through social media, through support groups, and um, yeah, that, that was very challenging. And that could be a thesis on its own because the amount of men that were shutting down other men for reaching out and even saying, you know, this is a good cause or um, I'd be interested. And of course, the research dissemination said you can message privately. Um, but I think the support groups, right, you're meant to support and reach out to one another. And um, that just wasn't the case for these younger men. They just got shut down and it was very disheartening to see. Yeah, yeah, I I have definitely noticed that as well in some of my like uh, social media work, I suppose. Um, I, I want to circle back around to that, but I'm I'm curious. Did you use the IIEF to to determine um, the International Index of Erectile Function to determine like? No, no, just straight off the DSM five. Yeah. Okay. Great. I, I the reason why I ask that is because I have oh, this is such a side note and such a fucking yeah, sure, sure, like nerd out like yeah, sex yeah, research thing, it. but I, I don't like I don't I actually don't like the IIEF, especially it, the shortened version, which is only five items. Firstly, because it was the development of it was funded by Pfizer, the, okay. the big pharma yeah. company, and so there's a massive conflict of interest there. And in like you know, um, using a, a questionnaire to you know uh, screen for erectile dysfunction from a company that sells erectile dysfunction medication, I don't think that's you know um, kosher. Uh, but also like because it was developed in like the late 90s, and you know we um, we we talk about. Uh, you know, sexuality and function in, in different ways, you know, 20 years later. Um, and I think that's that's important to recognize. So, um, yeah, so I was curious about that. I wasn't going to berate you or anything, but it was no, just no, going to no, be like, it's just a curiosity no, no, about no, no. what you're using. Yeah. No, nice. I love nerding out, so it's great. Yeah, um, but cool. yeah, no, use the DSM-5. So um, I managed to get my participants in um, with that. When I interviewed them, they were very much quite um, wanting to know if it was all, you know, secretive um they won't be found out and i had to go through pseudonyms and all that of course with research and that they'd be de-identified but even so um it's such a, a strong base of i guess shame or guilt for these men just having it in a society where men are brought up to to kind of the penis is the only thing that kind of defines you or how vigorous your erection is or or how much you could have sex or engage in penile vaginal penetration or whatever it is 
Yeah. Yeah. And did you find um, different severities of erectile dysfunction for these men? Yes. Yes, I did. Um, I also saw a secondary dysfunction um, come on because of that. So uh, PA, performance anxiety, was a huge one. Uh, That was for most of the participants. Um, And then there was um, PE, which is premature ejaculation, um, because they knew that they couldn't finish. Um, So that the they couldn't maintain so what they do is that they quickly try and ejaculate mm, right yeah to uh, to get it like as quickly as possible get to that ejaculation because there was issues with maintaining an erection yeah interesting um i'm when you started to like explore their experiences right and they you know that kind of phenomenological approach to it what were some of the um or some of the like kind of stories and scripts that came up for these guys when they're experiencing these these sexual dysfunctions. Yeah, well, it was very interesting, Cam, because when I interviewed the men that had the dysfunction um, or erectile difficulties, we'll call it for for quite a while, their masculinity actually changed more beneficially, and their behaviours changed as well to kind of suit that. Um, whereas men who had it for a shorter period of time, they were really trying to scramble for answers on what can I do? Um, and it really impacted their sense of, um, am I a man? Uh, what am I now? Um, they were really lost. Um, so it was, it was quite disheartening to see that. But as well, I, I really saw that the men who had it for quite a long time, that their masculinity kind of shifted. And it was almost like I'm not based off um, my performance and sexuality wasn't really a part of it. It was it was a part of the one whole piece of just being being a person. Hmm. Interesting, man. I am. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm. Yeah. I'd love to explore that a little bit more. So uh, let's let's talk about the guys that are more like acute um, erectile dysfunction and that they're kind of scrambling for answers and and it's you know something that they're struggling with. Um, it, with regards to like that impacting their experience of masculinity, um, like how was it? How was it negatively impacting? I know you said they're kind of scrambling for answers, but what what was the the way that it was showing up for them in terms of their the way they show up as men? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a lot of traditional masculine scripting. Um, so that is being a sexual provider, um, being someone who's um, sexually astute in a sense and knows their way around, you know, the bedroom. Um, and they that just put that all in jeopardy um, of you know I I can't be the sexual provider so who am I and I obviously I I can't fulfil my partner's sexual satisfactions or needs or perceived needs because again you know I think um, it's in Emily Nagowski's Come as You Are I think it's seventy five percent of all orgasms occur through the vulva so rather than actually you know vaginal penetration. So it's even education on that that they weren't aware of. And it was, this is how I, I make my partner orgasm. Mm, yeah, penis-centric, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very yeah. penis-centric. Mm, and so when the penis isn't quote-unquote working or cooperating, their whole understanding of like what it means to be good at sex is kind of thrown out, right? And they, it kind of gets challenged, unfortunately, right. and guys don't really know how to deal with that um, because of lack of education. Mm. Um, what about- um, so I'd love to explore that a little bit more. So you know, their um, so their idea of providing sexually, right, is kind of uh, in jeopardy because their their phallocentric view of of sex, you know, this penis centered idea of what sex should look like. Um, do they you know talk to you about like 
what they did instead or like how they still had sex? Did they avoid sex altogether or did they still be sexual just in a different way and, and compensate in certain no, ways? No, like what so happened they, there? They, yeah, um, they'd attempt penile vaginal penetration. Um, and then when they fail to maintain, what they do is that they revert to oral or digital sex. They, I think they discussed areas, particularly with a few participants around using sex toys. But a lot of them were, were quite hesitant about using or bringing in sex toys. Mm, yeah. And again, that, that might be that masculine scripting of, you know, this is better than I am. I'm the provider, not you. Yeah. Yeah. That's a story that I, I hear from a lot of men is like my, uh, like kind of like this, like, this is quite an old paradigm, like almost like a sexist paradigm as well, that like sex is something that men do to women and, um, and particularly that he does with his penis to a woman. And so, um, you know, a lot of guys gauge their, uh, their sexual prowess by like how many orgasms their partner has. And, you know, they're not talking to their partner about, you know, what turns them on and what they find pleasurable. They're just kind of doing things to their partner. Um, and, you know, it, kind of following that script of like, this is what a man does to a woman. And then, you know, a lot of women feel pressure from that um, to experience pleasure and they aren't given an opportunity to speak up. And there's a whole bunch of other things that go into this. But I feel like that's one of the reasons why a lot of women will fake orgasms, for example, is because like it's part of like his masculine ego is like her orgasms. And, and because it's not a context where either people are talking about what feels good for them and being able to speak up about it. A lot of women then go, well, okay, I'm just going to have to tolerate the sex and, you know, kind of pretend that I'm, that it feels good for the sake of him feeling good about himself. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's not really a relationship as well. Right. Because there's two, two people in a party and, you know, communication is, is key. Um, whenever you want to engage in anything. So, I mean, consent, is a, is a two-way thing. A lot of uh, participants I had when they, when I was asking about their sexual activity, um, they said the best kind of sex is consensual sex, but they didn't know what the term consensual sex was. Yeah, right. And so they thought it was something that was more intimate mm. rather than something that was someone's agreeing to engage in an act. Right. Interesting. So that was quite interesting as well. Yeah. Yeah. This kind of like interpretation of consent, um, maybe misinterpretation of it when what they're really looking for is intimacy and deepening of connection. Yeah. Right. So the, interesting that like the language that they're using is not exactly like I think that's I, I often think this is like the, the language that we use to describe sex like is so limited. And um, I think our vocabulary is something we need to really work on. Um, you know, I, I often think of like male sexuality being over pathologized and over medicalized. And so I get guys who talk to me about their sexual experiences and they self label or self diagnose as like having erectile dysfunction or premature ejaculation. And I, although I don't diagnose, I don't work in that capacity. I do, I'm familiar with the DSM. I've got my copies of it and I kind of check in with them. Do they meet this criteria? And a lot of them don't meet the criteria for a clinical diagnosis, but the language that they have, because it's kind of like, that's, that's our lay language, right? It's like that, you know, lay persons use erectile dysfunction and premature ejaculation to describe their experiences when, you know, they're clinically diagnosing themselves with something that they actually don't have. But that becomes a, uh, you know, almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy in some instances as well. It becomes disempowering using language like that when you're describing something that you actually don't particularly have. 
Um, and so I'm, I'm quite um, like, I, I try and advocate for like more vocabulary, right? So um, I talk about erectile disappointment or erectile difficulties is what you were using before. And so that I feel like that same principle of like broadening our language and using different words because words i think language is quite powerful can be helpful for this conversation around you know consent and and consensual sex and really defining what that actually means and then being like here's some other you know types of sex that we're talking about right intimacy and deepening connection and you know i often talk about like surrendering and letting go to pleasure and having like you know a bit more language to talk about even talking about like penises as well i often think that like we talk about penises in a very weapon-like way, right? Like, you know, a you know, gun or bat or rod, right? Very common um, phrases for, for male genitalia. And it's like, no wonder a lot of guys are approaching sex like they're, you know, attacking their partner, right? It's because the the way that we, even though we talk about sex, like slay and smash and bang, yeah. right? It's, it's all very, very aggressive. Yeah, it's very aggressive. Yeah. Um, and so it's, uh, yeah, so I, I'm a big advocate for like shifting language and getting more vocabulary. But um, yeah, that and just I really, sparked And I really that. like, sorry to just interject there, but yeah. I really like what you said before, Cam, about the sexual difficulties. Because again, using the word, dysfunction it, it it will put in you know am i dysfunctional yeah am i broken yeah am i broke that's right and difficulties is something that that can be overcome you know and whether it's psychogenic or organic and that's something that we can maybe discuss later on um in the podcast because there's two types of etiology for erectile dysfunction um depending on what it is some of it can be just difficulties and it's not lifelong I always get this from guys that like they're focused on function, right? And so, uh, and again, function versus dysfunction. I'm functional, I'm dysfunctional, like a machine that needs to be fixed and repaired, like going to a mechanic as opposed to going to like, I don't even know, my, I'm, I'm losing my analogy here. Um, but like as in, in instead of like going to a, um, you know, a gardener and like, you know, Set, you know, sowing the seeds and like watering the plant and like nurturing and exploring and like helping guide, they go to a mechanic to to fix an, an issue, right? And it's like, fix this problem for me, take this pill, take this particular, you know, thing, and now the problem is solved. But the underlying reason for that problem hasn't actually been addressed um, is kind of like the, the approach. Um, there was something here I wanted to share. Right. Oh, um, I said this before, um, before the podcast is, is something that I, I felt to share was... Um, yeah, the, I've definitely fallen into that that trap of traditional masculine provider role when it comes to sex. And, you know, I, I've shared on a, on the podcast a bunch of times that when I was younger, I would experience, yeah, probably erectile dysfunction. And I would say alcohol-induced erectile dysfunction because I was drinking a lot. Um, and so, like, there was a period of four years where my every sexual experience I had for about four years was under the influence. Uh, and so I was drinking in excess and, you know, alcohol induced um, erectile dysfunction or uh, brewer's droop or whiskey dick was definitely something that I experienced quite a lot. And so, but I still had that mentality of like, oh, I've got to be the sexual provider here. I've got to be like the, what it means to be a sexual man is to do sex to my partner. And so the way that I compensated for not being able to get and maintain an erection because of the alcohol was, yeah, relying on, oral sex, relying on digital sex, you know, you, you know, but again, the, and I think people might hear that and be like, well, that's good. You're diversifying your sexual you know, experiences and kind of in a way it's good, but because the same approach is there that it's like me doing something to my partner, not for their pleasure, but to make me feel better about myself is not 
conducive to good sex, right? Like I think there's- um, It's still, it's still, you know, this is for me, not for, not for us. This is, this is for me and providing me the sexual pleasure. And so did that shift for some of these uh, uh, participants who had been experiencing erection issues for a longer period of time? Yeah, so people with erectile difficulties for a much longer period, they actually um, didn't place that much emphasis on goal-driven um, performance. Mm. So it wasn't like if if I can't maintain or attain, I'm going to now do, um, in, you know, engage in digital sex or oral sex. Um, not at all. They they then just would rather do tactile experiences. So, you know, kissing their partner, that was quite intimate and sexual for them. Um, you know, breast play, um, you know, they, they'd engage in acts that would incorporate both and a lot of asking on what they'd like to do for their partner and there was a lot of communication. So that was really beautiful to see. Do you think there was anything else going on for these guys other than just the fact that they were having erection difficulties? Um, well, again, yeah. So the biopsychosocial uh, model. So um, I did go into the ideologies of all of that. So again, if your social circle, I'd like to give the example of um, just say you start drinking, right? And that's something biologically happening to your body, right? So um, your blood thins out, your erections aren't as full, it's difficult to attain or maintain an erection. Um, then what happens is you start getting depressed. So that's the psychological aspect of it. And because you're depressed, you don't want to become social. So you don't go out, you don't seek support, nothing happens. What then the depression feeds into is the alcohol. And then you start drinking more. And what that kicks into is the depression. So it just becomes one big negative cycle. Yeah. And I definitely have personally felt that for sure. The inhibition with regards to like being social, that also extended to like being sexual as well. I was, you know, if I reflect on my own personal experience, I was like, I don't want to initiate sex with someone because God, what if I can't get it up? This, the you know, PA performance anxiety was, you know, to the point where maybe I didn't even want to initiate sex, even though there was maybe an opportunity there, I held back from initiating sex because I was worried that like I'd not perform very well and that would cause me more stress and that stress would then feed back into my anxiety. That anxiety would feed back into my alcohol consumption. And you're right, it is this like really downward toxic spiral that just feeds into one another. It's very hard to break. It's yeah. very hard to break. And just hearing um, a few of these these amazing young men, you know, who have had it for, for difficulties for quite a while, what they've done is they've just kind of thrown the book out the window and, and just decided, you know what, it's not all based on my, you know, my penis. Um, you know, it's, they, they took away that phallocentric idea of this is what makes who I am and they just threw it by the wayside and um, they just had a lot more fun, pleasurable experiences because of it. Um, it might not be, might not involve an erection uh, or maintaining an erection, but you know they've really enhanced their their pleasure of what they were doing before even. So when some of them were repeating back to me their experiences, they were saying that a few of them actually were saying that their experience have actually heightened now that it's not so much of a focus on their erections. So. Fascinating, man. I, I guess I'm. My question then becomes like, 
it sounds like that they're having a you know satisfying positive experience um and and i would argue that that's like a direction that we want what well, i would like to see more men go in is to have more satisfying mutually you know pleasurable experiences but how do we do that how do we encourage that how do we promote that without you know uh f- forcing guys to just not have erections for a long period of time <laughs> i'd say it goes back to education because come when i went into the healthcare aspect of it a lot of men didn't have in the participants they didn't have any education around sex really it was very basic it was being shown how to put a condom on a banana basically and you know a good old pat on the back and off you go um so there's not enough education out there early on because what we want to do is we want to prevent not kind of start um putting masking tape on all the holes of the ship once the ship is sinking yeah i definitely agree with that i think there's like i mean of course there's so much um importance and necessity for like comprehensive sex education that's like pleasure positive but also and here's maybe where we can tie into you know men supporting each other is like the way that guys talk about sex with one another is at least in my own observation and personal experience is like not beneficial you know i've been in uh, i've been a student athlete and i've been around a lot of men's spaces and slowly it's shifting but i think the, the reason why i'm seeing the shift is because I'm part of that specific experience and I'm driving that particular yeah, encounter. Part of the right. So when I sit down in a circle of guys and we talk about sex, I try and drive it in a certain direction. But when I wasn't doing that um, or when I'm passive, I definitely hear conversations around sex that aren't super conducive to where I think it would be you know, beneficial to go. Uh, and so like I hear guys talking about sex where again, it's very performative. Uh, it's like, you know, minimizing their own experience and then, uh, you know, overemphasizing their female partner's experience, right? So, like, really uh, the whole, uh, you know, macho idea of, like, their God's gift to women really comes up. Like, guys really start to story top one another, you know, and, um, and especially here in Australia, we definitely do that. I know that. Um, and so, you know, the the way that, that sex is talked about between guys is not um, – like no one's talking about their um, experience of pleasure. You know what I mean? Guys aren't talking to each other about like how much, how enjoyable the sex was for them and how much pleasure they felt in their body and like how intimate it was and how deeply um, connected they felt. It's always like, yeah, man, I busted the biggest nut or I came so hard or like I made her come this many times. She was a screamer, this sort of language. Um, and so it's I think- It's all like, based off numbers, it seems like, right? Yeah, you know, totally. I, I made her come this many times. You know, I bagged this many and bagged, you know, with the apostrophes, I bagged this many women. And it, it all uh, just appears a numbers game on who could, as you said, topping one another, just story topping, who could outdo someone else. Yeah, quantity over quality. Yeah, um, right. That's perfectly worded. Yeah, Bernie Zilbergel talks about um, competition. A lot of men frame sex as competition between each other. So the sex isn't for, you know, their female partner. It's for them and their mates, right? And it's like, you know, because men are uh, concerned with how they compete with each other, how they measure up with one another, they're concerned with like how long they last or how big their dick is or how many orgasms their partner has. And that's not conducive to actually a pleasurable um, experience of sex, either for themselves or for their partner. Yeah. And when I was doing the research um, on, you know, ED with younger men, 
Um, a lot of younger men were saying, um, for the other researchers I looked up, they're saying that um, they had a, a sense of that they'd be outcasted if they were ever found. And that, that kept popping up in the research of, you know, I'm going to be outcast and, you know, um, I'm not, I'm not a part of this group. And, you know, if I'm not, a, if I'm not a part of the sense of man and, and in a group of men, what am I? I'm, I'm just in the middle somewhere, particularly if they identified as heterosis. Yeah. Right. So there's this, this, um, yeah, like a sense of like lack of support for it from these from these men in their life, which are supposed to be their support network, right? Um, yeah, which is so um, yeah, it's so uh, problematic and and saddening a little bit, right? It's because these guys don't want to talk about it because of this fear of or their what their mates will think about them or what this like you know this this what society men think about thinks. Them. Yeah, yeah. Um, when you, I, I I know we spoke about this. Uh, previously but when you came to like disseminating your research and and you know asking for participants what was some of the um the what was some of the resistance and the feedback that you got from this particular um research yeah so i disseminated it around um men's social groups men's support groups as well um there was a lot of traditional masculine scripting being played out um and when men reached out publicly um, they were just humiliated. Um, one, I remember someone posted under their comment um, a picture of a naked lady or a lady in a um, G-string bending over and wrote, this will fix it in the most illiterate way possible. Um, so, you know, it was very much putting other men down for even having that. And, you know, they were saying, what the hell are you doing here? You know, um, this isn't a group for, you know, this where it's trying to support men, but that that is supporting men. That's what that's what I'm there trying to do. I'm trying to add to the research because there's not enough research out there to support men. Yeah, yeah. I think I see similar like examples of that in um, like the company. Uh, I won't mention names actually because I don't want to necessarily promote them. But there's like online pharmaceutical companies for erectile dysfunction that like pay for ads on social media for example and i often I see yeah that's right i often see comments underneath of like men taking the piss out of one another right being like oi johnny you you need this you know or like you know uh being you know just just taking the piss you know what i mean and and it's like I often think it's great in some respect that we're kind of like talking more about male sexual health. And although I'm not big on, you know, pharmaceuticals, um, like it's great that they're kind of starting a conversation, but then I see the way that men are interacting with it. And I'm like, fuck, it's just perpetuating that type of, you know, masculinity, right? It's like guys taking the piss out of one another for maybe needing this support or, you know, um, belittling people and, um, you know, again, that ostracization or that, you know, making guys feel like outcasts for, like if I saw all these comments on a, you know, one of these ads of guys like taking the piss out of, you know, their mates saying that you need this, yeah, you're a little whatever because you need this type of medication. I'd be like, fuck, I don't want to, you know, reach out to these people. What if my mates find out they're going to take the piss out of me as well? So um, it's a, it really hinders, you know, men's um, capacity. Like, capacity. Yeah, totally, man, totally. So um, I guess like, did you, I know this wasn't necessarily part of your research and I, I think it's definitely an area that could definitely be studied, but did you have any strategies for like 
working through that or like how did you do did you navigate yeah, any of that resistance did you became, do anything yeah so when i was talking with my supervisor um they also viewed the pages that i disseminated on and they were very surprised um to see how much resistance um was shown so it was very hard to even recruit participants through those memes um i just then took out you know reply to the post or message me publicly to uh message me publicly message me privately sorry just message me privately um and, and that got a lot more people coming through yeah 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 it's um yeah it's a tough one man and did you get because i sometimes get this i've been on a couple of like podcasts where they talk like this they're they're like with, I don't mean to sound condescending, but they're like fem empowerment podcasts. Like they're podcasts for women and and female sexuality. And because I talk about cishet men, a lot of the women that tune into these podcasts have male partners. And so I often am brought on to some of these podcasts um, to talk about male sexuality and like how women can help their men open up about things and and um, and such. So um, so I'm and I'm often the only male guest on a lot of these podcasts as well. I'm like. I often am told I'm I'm the first male guest that they've brought on or like they're, um, you know, whatever. And and so I've, I've had, you know, oftentimes it's well-received. I don't want to, you know, paint an, a completely negative picture. Oftentimes it's very well-received. But there have been instances where I've been on a podcast and I then go and read the comments underneath that particular post or whatever. And part of the feedback that I've seen or part of the responses I've seen is like, who fucking cares? Right? Why are we platforming another cishet guy? Why are we talking about men's issues? Like it doesn't, you know, like if they have erection issues, that's their problem, not our problem. Like it's kind of like a, yeah, it's like a who who gives a shit type of mentality, I suppose. And I'm wondering, have you noticed or did you notice any of that? Uh, no, I didn't really notice um, the kind of who gives a shit. What I did notice was just men not supporting other men when they did reach out and it wasn't who gives a shit it's it's more like you you can't um perform like what are you like why and they were very they were very um attacking towards the other guy but it, it wasn't they they were aware of it but i think aggression is just there to kind of be a barrier for them and kind of and kind of block out anything that detriments their sense of masculinity perhaps yeah. Yeah. And I think there's like a very, uh, like it's very like man box culture way of, um, asserting your own masculinity is to put someone else down. If they're considered less than you, you know, if they're less manly, then you point it out. Right. Cause it not only minimizes them, but it, it kind of pushes you up that yeah, kind of masculine hierarchy. It inflates your sense of masculinity and I'm, I'm top dog here that, that's what it was very much one trying to top dog another yeah that one-upsmanship yeah yeah right. yeah unfortunately putting putting guys down to lift yeah. yourself up is and yeah that's not-, that's not um conducive to what we're trying to do here is you know people in this field we're trying to we're trying to bring these men together and and create a supportive environment so they could speak about these issues really without judgment yeah yeah and that's that's um something i want to continue to try and do with you specifically as well man is to try and create some more of those spaces hey there thank you so much for listening to my podcast i hope you're enjoying this episode i just wanted to chime in here with a 
plug for my online men's course. It's called Outperform a Porn Star. It goes for six weeks and it's all about experiencing multiple orgasms, overcoming any uh, sexual dysfunctions, reframing your whole performance mindset around sex to be more pleasure-oriented, We talk about communicating with your partner, being a sexual leader, and all of this amazing stuff. So if you're interested in learning how to outperform a porn star, head to my website, www.cam-fraser.com. Let's get back to this episode. Um, I I wanted to speak to you about... um, like etiology of ED when we, you know, there, um, you mentioned two main etiologies and I was wondering if you could speak into that. A little yeah, bit yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so the first etiology, which I found in the research to be more conducive with younger men is psychogenic ED, um, which basically means it's all psychologically based um, because of um, hormonal changes, because of um, alcohol and drugs, so AOD, um, illicit substances, the whole shebang, um, they're more prone to stuff like depression, um, they're more prone to stuff like feeling um, insecure about one's sense of self within the world, um, particularly because younger men are then put in towards the prime of their life in terms of career-wise, right? They want to build their career from the ground up. Um, They may be starting a first serious relationship. They may be buying a house. Compared to people who are in the older generation or older men, as the research shows, which is between the ages of 40-plus, um, so where they're kind of more secure in that sense, younger men are trying to figure themselves out and who they are in this world. So that's why psychogenic ED really is prevalent around that. Um, but what I also saw in the research is that one fuels the other. So as I said, the biopsychosocial model, psychogenic ED can then lead to organic ED, where it's then just alcohol, just consistent alcohol consumption or cannabis was another big one amongst younger men um, and cocaine. Oh, cocaine. Yeah. Cocaine dick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, talk to me about cannabis, man. That's quite interesting. I, um, I've, I, yeah, I'll share what I've read and, and experienced, but I'd love to hear what you heard from these guys. Um, so in terms of cannabis use, I mean, it was difficulties both maintaining entertaining interaction. Um, that was heavy consumption though. So they'd be daily smokers. Um, in terms of the people that were, I guess, less frequent with their smoking, I didn't really have any participant with that to show the research for it. Um, but people that I've read research on, on that particular subject, um, even the people who had less frequency is, you know, cannabis is one of the biggest erection killers. Yeah. And as well as cocaine, and which I think Sydney became cocaine capital of the world, if I uh, remember correctly. Yeah, I have read some interesting research around cannabis use. This is so off topic, but like cannabis use for women being beneficial in you know, in small doses, in in um, you know not not excessive consumption. Um, and uh, yeah, I did read some research around um, yeah cannabis, THC, marijuana being a um, erection like contributing to erection issues. Uh, what was interesting though is some of the research I read was that. Um, even though it contributes to some erection issues, sexual satisfaction goes up. And so um, possibly and related to- I'm well, yeah. what your thoughts on, on that? Because I've got thoughts of my own, but I'm wondering where you sit with that. 
Yeah, so my, my uh, this is based on personal experience and a little bit of research that I've done um, is that, yeah, so smaller amounts of cannabis. So rather than, you know, excessive regular smoking, which we know can be um, have negative impacts on erection, uh, you know, uh, issues. Um, my personal experience, my personal opinion is that like small amounts of marijuana when mixed with like um a, a, a pleasure positive approach to sex, right? Like it's the approach to sex, which is, um, I guess, like the mediating factor in this. It's like if if you're able to like have this really open and diverse approach to sex and then combine that with smoking um, or, you know, ingesting cannabis in whatever way you choose to do it, uh, it can be helpful for um, like relaxation. It can be helpful for like maybe some exploration. Um, it can be helpful for like alleviating some of that anxiety. Uh, it can be you know, beneficial in, in these regards. I have also, again, personal experiences and read a lot of anecdotal reports of like when the, um, like during the, 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 uh, the experience of sexual intercourse, uh, like feeling disconnected from a partner because you, you kind of going into your head, you kind of going into your own experience. Um, and, um, and, you know, I think there was this line that stood out from one particular, um, anecdotal report, which is like, I forgot that I was having sex with someone. I was just wrapped up in my own experience and it was like enjoyable. And when I closed my eyes, I kind of went into my mind and, you know, followed my thoughts very, you know, that kind of, um, which cannabis typically does is allows you to kind of like really follow these trains of thoughts and kind of get really sucked into them. And they said, when I opened my eyes, I was surprised to see a person underneath me. Um, and, um, and so I think like maybe for some self-pleasure could be really beneficial. I think there's like a, um, an opportunity to explore there. Um, but I think, you know, within the context of, um, you know, agreements and, um, and you know being pleasure positive and, and that kind of more diverse approach to sex i think there's probably some benefit to exploring um i'm really fascinated by mdma and that being a an avenue for breaking down sexual inhibitions and and promoting sexual exploration um what are your thoughts i'd be curious to hear what you think on on cannabis and sex yeah i mean look i think for microdosing, um there was actually a few workshops recently um i think uh, I don't know if it was SAS accredited. I wouldn't think so, but um, there was a few workshop, workshops, including like psychedelics and microdosing um, when engaging in sexual activity. Um, but I think for cannabis, it could be something of a mindset, right? Because people are so constantly in thoughts and this is very, you know, microdosing, not, not having like a whole joint or half a joint um, or, you know, just very little, but just sticking in, just the present moment. And I think maybe for women, that might be one of the key things. I don't want to speak on behalf of their experiences. This is just me, you know, smelling of what it may be. Um, but I think for, um, for men in particular, if it comes to that thought process, that's what we don't want. Because if you're just stuck in thoughts, you're not the present moment in the experience, you're not out of it. And what that does is you, you won't, you won't know. Um, what's happening within your body or, or, you know, you may lose your erection, so you won't be able to maintain. I am. Um, I, I don't know if I've shared this on a podcast before, so maybe this will be the first time I share it. Maybe I did when I was speaking with um, uh, Forrest, um, Forrest Andrews, who's the uh, CEO of Aneros, which is a prostate massager company. But something that I have personally experienced and have also read a lot about is um, – mixture of um, 
using cannabis and prostate stimulation, particularly to the point of prostate orgasms. And, and I've read over and over again, and again, I can share from my own personal experience that using you know, smoking marijuana and then exploring prostate play, it's a lot easier to have a prostate orgasm um, as opposed to doing it without yeah. the substances. And, and would you say, Cam, that's due to muscle relaxation? I think it, it, yes, due to muscle relaxation and also because there's not like you know, a, a major emphasis on penile stimulation as well. And so like there's, um, so even if, even if there is uh, less tumescence, right, even if there is less rigidity for an erection, um, it's not a big deal because it's not the sole focus of the experience, the, the prostate stimulation is. So I think it's a, you know, um, a combination of, of things as well. Like, you know, there's less... Um, there's uh, less inhibitions as well when it comes to like being, you know, uh, even under the influence of alcohol, uh, under the influence of cannabis, whatever it might be, there's, you know, you, you kind of have those inhibitions lifted a little bit as well. So some of that fear and anxiety of like, oh, what does this mean about my sexuality isn't there as well. Um, and um, there was something else, but I've just lost it. Uh, but that, so that has been something I've noticed quite a lot is the the association between cannabis use and prostate play and particularly prostate orgasm. So, uh, and again, I would love to research that, but getting <laughs> getting funding for sex research, let alone sex and drug <laughs> research is a friggin' nightmare. So, um, but there's there's a lot of fantastic stuff there that I'd love to, to do a bit more uh, deeper dives into. Um, I'm mindful of time, brother. And I wanted to say, um, well, I wanted to ask around uh, so we've spoken a lot about like how erectile dysfunction or erection difficulties impact men and their masculinity, their sexuality. What about then working with those men? Like what are some things that we might be doing with them as clinicians, practitioners, coaches, therapists? How do we work with those guys and how do we help them overcome the issues that they're experiencing? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, first off, uh, uh, sexual history intake is very important, right? Because we need to know when it occurred, how it occurred, if it's difficulties maintaining, attaining. Um, loosely have a um, DSM-5 in mind as well, right? Because as you were saying, you know, when you were interviewing participants or when you were, sorry, interviewing um, clients and they were saying, you know, um, I think I have ED and you you ran it by and you said, oh, well, you don't actually meet the criteria. You know, some and maybe a lot of these men don't, but it's still difficult for them. So being very supportive, looking at alternatives, teaching more pleasure focus base rather than goal orientated, because as soon as it becomes more performance based and very goal orientated, um, particularly if you have difficulties um, sexually, it just sets yourself up for failure. How do you teach about pleasure oriented sex? Like what, what does that approach look like? Yeah. So really just um, smell, taste, you know, touch, really getting your senses in there. Um, not so much focusing on the goal of penetrative sex. Um, so just maybe it could be tactile, right? And just rubbing either yourself or your partner. And you got to know yourself before you can engage in with your partner as well, right? Um, because a lot of men um, that I've seen, you know, they they normally just one movement with masturbation. They don't really know how to, I guess, work around their own body. So even just exploring that for themselves and, you know, um, I think it's called maybe squelching is the word for it, where, you know, with the top of the head of the penis, the glands, you know, working around that, squeezing with rings with your finger, you know, um, maybe even wearing a cock ring, 
you know, and experimenting with that. And maybe even stuff like touching one's nipples so or earlobes or somewhere where it's sensitive to, to add to that pleasure. Yeah, just like exploring your body. Um, That's right. I definitely notice a lot of resistance to men doing that. Um, a lot of fear comes up, a lot of like, um, yeah, like, am I weird for doing this? Am I gay for doing this? That's a big one. A lot of internalized homophobia comes up when I tell men to explore other areas of their body. God forbid I suggest they start exploring their ass. That brings up a lot of stuff for them. Um, but there's a, um, God, there was something there that I wanted to piggyback off of what you shared. Um uh, no, nah, I think I've lost it. <laughs> I'm a bit scattered <laughs> okay. this afternoon. Um, but the, um, yeah, so the approach like pleasure positivity is, um, is really lovely. And I like this idea of like, and I've said it before, and I, I definitely agree with you is like exploring your own body first and then being able to extend that outwards and, and communicating about what it is that turns you on, um, I think is really, really valuable. There's a, um, yeah, there's so many practices that uh, I like to share, um, you know, like a, just a pleasure mapping practice, you know, like mapping pleasure across your body and noticing like. And heat zones of, of where, where's good, where's not good, you know, and then you can communicate that. Yeah. Yeah. And having that information is so valuable as well, because a lot of times, you know, people might ask us like, what do you like? What are you into? A lot of men can't answer that because they don't really know because they haven't given themselves an opportunity to explore that. Um, and so I think there's there's a lot of value. I'm I, I'm saying all this as I'm saying it, I'm stalling to try and remember what it is that I wanted to say <laughs> because I, <laughs> I was like, fuck, there was something there that, that was um, that would have been cool to add in. Um, yeah, we were talking about, um, yeah, so working with these guys. Yeah, I think um, like you know, education is super necessary as well, right? It's like, um, and that's kind of a big part of my job is like psychoeducation essentially is like um, talking to guys about like, what their body is capable of, um, you know. So, oh, here's what I was going to say uh, is um, uh, part of the practices that I share with men is like to intentionally take penetration off the table. So, um, you know, almost similar to what these guys who who experience erection issues for a long period of time are kind of having to do because of their issues is take penetration and penetrative sex off the table. I kind of encourage men, even if they don't have erection issues, to do that anyway, because it's a mindful, intentional, conscious way with their partner to kind of force themselves to explore what else there is, right? And when you have that agreement with your partner to do that in like this, you know, again, the, the intention is there. We're making the decision to do this, to take this off the table. It kind of invites you to go, what else is on the table? What else can we explore? And it, and it becomes this, this um, positive invitation as opposed to like, you know, I, the way I frame it is like, it's uh, from a place of inspiration as opposed to a place of desperation, right? Like the, the desperation is like, oh fuck, my dick's not working. What else can I do? I've got to maybe you know use my tongue or use toys or use fingers. And it becomes this thing that we talked about earlier of doing it for me as opposed to doing it for, for us. Um, but if you're like, Hey, you know, let's set up a time on Thursday night to explore each other's bodies without using our genitals. You know, let's focus on on what else there is. Kind of is this inv invitation um, from a place of inspiration to explore, and it becomes a lot more positive. And it's like um, experimental, exploratory, pleasure oriented, and and so that's like, yeah, that's what I wanted to share. Thank God I remembered it. Yeah. No, and that's that's really useful. You know, I I really resonate with that because you know that that gives you almost like a smorgasbord once you start to know yourself or what you can do not only for yourself but in partnered situations. Yeah, 
Yeah, I am, am mindful of time, brother, and we're, we're hitting the hour mark. I was wondering, is there anything else that you felt to share with guys who are maybe experiencing some erection difficulties? You know, you're not alone out there, guys. There's there's so many men across the globe that, that are also having difficulties. Um, and, you know, speaking up and um, contacting people is the best way forward. Um, and, you know, contacting the right people uh, like Cam yourself or, or myself um, or others out there that are qualified and trained. Well, I appreciate you sharing about your research, man. I appreciate you sharing about um, your practice as well and the way that you work with um, with couples and, and with men in particular. Uh, it's been super valuable, man. And I'm just really grateful that you uh, spent some time chatting with me. Thank you so yeah. much. No, thank you, Cam. Really appreciate being on here and you're doing such great work. It's oh, thanks, man. That's really lovely. Cheers. Hey there, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Men's Sex and Pleasure podcast. If you find value from this content, then I encourage you to consider becoming a patron on my Patreon account. You can find the link for that in the description below. You'll have access to a whole bunch of perks, including behind-the-scenes podcast footage, as well as pre-release YouTube videos and patron-only writing, as well as the opportunity to have your name either shown in a YouTube video or read out in a thank you during the podcast. So like I said, if you enjoy this content and you'd like to support it and support me, then head to the link in the show notes below and consider becoming a patron. Thank you.